Um, So we're going to be starting in John chapter 13, and then for the next 10 weeks, we're actually going to go through um, what's called the farewell discourse. Um, So, yeah, 10 weeks is a long time, I know. (laughs) Um, But we are going to take, we are going to take two weeks off like we typically do. Um, We're going to take the last week of August off, and then we're going to take the first week of September, and then we're going to have a big launch that second week of September and kind of have... Uh, a whole a whole launch ordeal, um, and uh, so anyway, so we're going to spend uh, some time in these uh, in these few chapters, um, and so as I was thinking about these chapters, one of the interesting things about about these chapters is that they were actually they record uh, a series of events that took place in the span of about five hours. If you think about that, there's five chapters, and most likely the events that happened were from 13 to 17 were about five hours. However, John uh, has this section take up 25% of his, of his gospel, which means that this night in particular was one of the most impactful nights of his three years with Jesus. Think about that. He spends a quarter of his gospel on, on a five-hour period of time. This is probably one of the most impactful nights for John. And I, I am hoping and praying that it will be really impactful uh, for us because um, Aaron has been having you guys go through uh, the book Gentle and Lowly, uh, or at least plugging it, you know, and, 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 ho- and trying to get you guys to read it. Um, I am actually going to try and read it as well because Aaron uh, has a lot of great things to say about it. Are, are any of you guys reading it right now or have you read it? Uh, it's good, yeah? Okay, cool. Um, so the reason, also part of the reason why I wanted to pick this particular section of Scripture to go through is because this section really gives us a look at the heart of Jesus. Just kind of like that book um, that you guys are reading, um, this section and John's Gospel in particular really gives us a look at the heart of Jesus. In fact, John Calvin said of John's Gospel, he said that while Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they show us the body of Jesus, they show us a lot of his external works, John's gospel actually gives us a look at his soul, gives us a look at what's going on inside of Jesus. And so that was kind of another, another reason why I really wanted us to dig into this, um, into this section of scripture, because that's what we want to do. We want to get to know Jesus. Um, so with that, um, let's read, we're going to read verses, so John chapter 13, we're going to read the first 17 verses. Um, so read along with me. And these, these are the words of God. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, 
He tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, (laughs) who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not now understand, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. These are the words of God. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, we uh, come before you and we want to come under the authority of your word. We don't want to stand above it and treat, and treat it as though it were not authoritative for our lives. But we want, to, we want to come under your authority, Lord, and we want to learn from you, and we want to know you. So, Father, I just pray that you would use your word, that you would uh, cut deep into our hearts and that you would change us from the inside out, that you would cut away those things that don't honor you, that you would remove those things that don't glorify you, and that you would replace them with graces that, uh, that honor you. And so we just ask that you would do all these things, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So I want you guys to imagine something for a minute. Imagine, this is going to sound a little dark, but... Imagine you only had 12 hours to live. Can you picture that? Imagine you know that you only had 12 hours to live. What sort of things would you want to do? This is, you can talk back at this point. If you, if you knew you only had 12 hours to live, what sort of things would you want to do? Go on a roller coaster. You want to go on a roller coaster? Okay. <laughs> what else? Eat as much fast food as possible. Okay. Nice. Nice. Bungee jump? Okay. Yeah. Cash in my life insurance policy. Cash in your life insurance <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Any other? Yeah. Skydive. Skydive. Ooh. Yeah. I, I, yeah, no. Yeah. I don't have to visit the family that fell out of like in Washington. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Any other, any other uh, things you guys would like to do? That's that's cool. A little random, but cool. <laughs> Do something that's both crazy and dangerous. Crazy and dangerous. Yeah. 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 Yeah
crazy and dangerous. Okay. What would I do? I don't know. I don't want to skydive because, you know, <laughs> no. Um, I don't want to ride roller coasters. I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably just spend time with my family, honestly. Uh, I, yeah. But, yeah, I'd probably eat ice cream. You know, I'd try, yeah, that's good. I'd probably spend time with family and then eat all of the like, best desserts that I could think of or that I could find. I feel like that's a good way to go. Uh, <laughs> literally, go. Um, <laughs> but uh, So the reason that I brought that up is because if you, if you follow what we just read, these are literally the last 12-ish hours of Jesus' life. In fact, uh, the chapter after where we leave off is when Judas comes and betrays Jesus, and he is taken away, and, uh, <clears throat> and he's imprisoned, and, and the whole process of, um, of his uh, betrayal, uh, suffering, uh, crucifixion, and death, that whole process begins the very next day. And so what's so striking about this passage is the fact that Jesus, instead of uh, filling himself with lots of ice cream or, you know, whatever, he spends time showing love to his disciples. He gets down on his hands and knees and washes their feet. That's what's so striking about this passage. And what's amazing also about this passage that we'll kind of go through, and I even have a slide that we'll put up there, um, but it's actually this, this uh, acted out parable of the gospel. So the foot washing, if you are taking notes, it is an acted out parable of the gospel. And we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but first, uh, we need to talk about two different contexts. Uh, the first context is like where we are in John, because we're literally dropping right in the middle of it. So in John, John is pretty neatly divided up into like two, two halves. Uh, there's a, well, kind of four. There's a prologue at the beginning, which is one, uh, chapter one, verse one through 18. And then the second, the second prologue is the end. That's basically chapter 21. And then everything in the middle pretty neatly divides into two. Uh, the first, it goes from chapter one through the end of chapter 12. That's what theological bigwigs call uh, the book of signs. And so basically, it's kind of centered around these seven big miracles that Jesus does that are meant to authenticate his, basically authenticate his ministry or to, to show, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God. So that's the book of signs. And then this section that we're just about to start is what's called the book of the passion. Now, uh, when we think of passion, we usually think of, you know, someone who's like really into art or, you know, uh, really into, you know, passionate about singing or something like that. But the reason that it's called the book of the passion is because in olden days, passion meant suffering. Passion meant suffering. And so this uh, section of the, of the Gospel of John, it details Jesus' suffering on behalf of his people and his resurrection. Um, so that's where we are as far as the context in the book of John. And then the, the second context that we need to keep in mind is kind of the overall Bible context, which... Um, we're actually kind of almost smack dab in the middle, uh, once again, of the overall Bible context. Um, so uh, 
in order to, to get our bearings a little bit, we need to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible to Adam and Eve. Now, can someone give me a really quick, like 20 second summary of Adam and Eve and what happened there and the serpent and all that kind of stuff? Yes. I got you. Okay. Adam, okay. Eve. Cool. Serpent. Eve. Yo, what's up? Eat apple. Eve. Okay, cool. Eat apple. Yo, Adam, have apple. Cool, have apple. God, come down. They go, ah, shoot. Hide tree. God go, where you be? In tree. They go, be naked. <laughs> then he go, have some leaves, get out. And they go. That was beautiful. Thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you. That's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm speechless, Sammy. That was wonderful. Thank you. Um, <laughs> We Nike, that's good. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, where do you where do you go from there? Um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, yeah. So the <laughs> Adam and Eve, right? They sinned and broke fellowship with God, and so um, right after this is the amazing thing. So Genesis three fifteen is sometimes called the first gospel. Um, And it's this promise that God gives to Adam and Eve literally right after they mess up instead of God. And this is the amazing thing. God told them, uh, he's like, if you sin in the day that you sin, you will die. And instead of killing them, he shows them mercy. And then he gives them the promise of a redeemer literally right after they mess up. Right after they, they, they break fellowship, they willingly rebel against God. And then in amazing grace, he says, but you, you have sinned, but I'm going to send someone who's going to repair the damage that you guys have caused. And not only that, but he's going to crush the head of the serpent as well. And so there's this promise at the beginning of Scripture that there's going to be this one, this deliverer, this, this one who's going to make right everything that Adam and Eve messed up, right? And uh, so depending on who you ask, it's at least several thousand years later before uh, this promise actually comes to fruition. And this deliverer that's promised at the beginning of the Bible, what's his name? Someone tell me. Sunday school answer. There we go. Yeah. His name is Jesus. Okay. And so that's the context that we find ourselves in right now. Jesus is the answer. He is the fulfillment of this promise that was given at the very beginning of the Bible. And so that's where we are right now. It's all coming coming to a climax. It's the night before God is going to fulfill his promise that he gave at the beginning of the Bible. This is an amazing moment. And, it's, and it is a, an intense time for Jesus because he knows what's coming. He knows, he, we even see indications of it here in this passage. He knows that he's about to be betrayed. And so, but there's this, this big theme in this, in this passage, and it's this idea of, of washing or of, of cleansing, okay? And it, it, and it points to the atonement, and it points to the gospel, it points to the work of Jesus. And specifically in this passage, there's actually three different 
aspects of this cleansing work that we see. And the first, so I'll give you, I'll give you the three. Right, you ready, Noah? Okay, so the three is, uh, <clears throat> so first, it's the, let's see if I can remember, the humiliation, the continuation, and the implication. They all have I-O-N, because I'm, you know, OCD like that, and I like it. Makes me happy. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so it's the, the humiliation of Christ's cleansing work. It's the continuation of that cleansing work and the implication of it. So let's, let's talk about it. Verses uh, 1 through 5 are the humiliation. They talk about the humiliation of Christ's cleansing work. So, 1 through 5, Jesus is doing something here. We see that that is really kind of outrageous because, uh, are you guys familiar with who did the foot washing in in this particular culture? No? That's okay. Um, So, basically, washing feet was reserved for the lowest slave in the household, okay? Like low man on the totem pole, he's the one who did it. In fact, it was considered such a low thing to do that even Hebrew slaves wouldn't do it. They made Gentile slaves do it, okay? That's how low this task is. It's, it's beneath, beneath uh, someone who is a... a traveling rabbi like Jesus, someone who is well-respected. This is absolutely outrageous, which is why Peter objects to it in the first place. Um, And so another interesting fact, though, is that the other Gospels actually tell us that um, the disciples, they were actually, right before they go into this supper, Uh, they actually tell us that they were arguing amongst themselves about who is the greatest. They were arguing amongst themselves about who is the greatest. And so they come inside, and apparently there's there's no servant to wash the feet, right? There's no servant. And so these disciples are so proud that they won't do this act of service for each other, and they won't do that for Jesus. Think about that. So another, another aspect of it is not only are these, so you've got these prideful disciples who are unwilling to do this, this menial task, this, just this tangible means of serving one another and serving Jesus. But on top of that, you have Jesus, who it says in, in verse, let's see here, verse three says, knowing that he came from God, that he was going back to God and that God had given all things into his hands, says with Jesus, with all of that in mind, says that he got up from dinner, he dressed himself like a servant and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now that's amazing when you think about that because the God who literally created everything clothed himself like a servant and in a display of love washed his disciples' feet. The God, he didn't have to do that, you guys. He didn't have to do that. He didn't need to do that. But 
we see later on in the chapter, he's like, I'm giving you an example. If I, your Lord and teacher, you know, God of the universe, if I am willing to serve in this way, you should be willing to. We should be willing to serve in that way as well. Uh, So think about it this way. Uh, Noah, imagine that uh, you, you hear the doorbell ring at your house. I assume you have a doorbell. Yeah, okay. Um, imagine you hear the doorbell ring, and uh, you open the door, and it's President Joe Biden. And uh, he, he steps inside, and he says, Noah, I love you so much. I, I want to clean your bathroom. And he just goes inside, and I mean, and, you know, bathrooms are gross. I mean, who, no one wants to clean the bathroom, right? But he comes inside the house, and he starts cleaning the bathroom for you, okay? That's, that's kind of a, an example of how outrageous this is, that Jesus is willing to do this. And Jesus is infinitely greater than Joe Biden and infinitely greater than any president who has ever lived. Fun fact. Um, <laughs> and so the reason that that's important, though, that I'm drawing attention to how outrageous this is and how loving this is, is because you guys, we as Christians, are sinners. We mess up. We sin against God. And there's going to come a time in your life, um, anybody who walks with the Lord for any length of time has these moments where you've messed up, and it's the same mess up that you've been messing up you know, for however long. And you're going to think, Clearly, this is it. Like, grace is all, all out. There's no more for me. And what we need to call to mind is the Savior who is willing to experience not only the humiliation of washing the disciples' feet, but also the humiliation of being beaten, spit upon, stripped naked, and nailed to a cross so that he could show you love so that he could reveal to you that God loves you. That's why I'm drawing such, uh, such, so much emphasis and, and pointing to this, this, this loving service of Jesus so much because if we look at ourselves, if we look at the sin that still remains, it's very easy to get discouraged. But when we look at how gentle and kind and humble Jesus is, it gives us great hope because we know that he's not the type of person who's gonna, who's gonna just give up on us. We know that Jesus was willing to experience the deepest humiliation to purchase for you a glorious salvation. He was willing to experience the deepest humiliation to purchase for Sammy a glorious salvation. So that's verses one through five. That's what's going on there. And then also there is a a really cool slide. Um, I don't know if we have it, um, but I'll I'll get to that here in just a sec. But so moving into this next section, verses six through 11. um, So... Jesus comes to Simon Peter, and Peter is 
You guys probably can't read that, can you? Can you, oh, sure. you read it? Yeah. Okay, okay, cool. Um, I'll come back to that. Um, so, <laughs> Jesus, you know, he's making his way around the table, and he comes to, he comes to Peter, and you got to love Peter. He's always putting his foot in his mouth. Um, and uh, he's, he's outraged at the fact that Jesus is, is going to wash his feet. And then Jesus says something that is really significant. He says, if I do not wash you, you can have no part with me. If I do not wash you, you can have no part with me. And what Jesus is saying there is he's saying that if I do not cleanse you, you cannot have fellowship with me. And there's something deeper that's going on. Uh, It's not just the fact that Jesus really wants to wash his feet. Jesus is giving him a parable. He's giving him a teaching, and he's saying that we cannot be right with God unless Jesus washes us through his death, burial, and resurrection. We cannot have fellowship with God apart from Christ. And the interesting thing about the foot washing parable, the foot washing uh, example, is that you have Peter and all the other disciples, they're sitting there, right? And you have an active person and you have a passive person, okay? Peter's sitting there and his feet are being washed. Jesus is the one who is actively washing, okay? That is a picture of grace. That is a picture of the gospel because every other religion on the planet will tell you that if you wash your own feet enough, if you get yourself clean enough, God might love you. You might get into heaven. And what Jesus is showing through this, this parable, through this picture, is he's saying, no, God is the one who is going to come and cleanse you. You simply have to trust in what Jesus has done. You have to have faith in Christ. You have to, and faith acts as this this bond of union between us and Christ. And when we have faith in Christ, everything that is true of Jesus becomes true of us. So when God looks at Sammy, who's trusting in Jesus, he sees the righteousness of Christ because Sammy is one with Christ. Does that make sense to you guys? Some of that was a little bit off, off of my notes. But um, anyway, so what Jesus, if we look at verse 10, we see we're going into our second point now. We see the continuation of Christ's cleansing work. If we look at verse 10, he says, he says this, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. And so what Jesus is conveying there is that there is a difference between the, between, I'm going to use some some Paul language here, justification and sanctification. So what Jesus is talking about when he says the one who has bathed, he's talking about, he's talking about the one who has trusted in Christ he is united to Christ and God has 
granted to him or credited to him the righteousness of Christ. Okay? Does that make sense? And so when he says his feet need to be washed, the implication is that there is, as we live out this life though, there is still sin in us. We are still being sanctified. In fact, in uh, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says this, that through one sacrifice, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And so there's what, uh, what people call positional righteousness, and there's what people call uh, practical righteousness. Positional righteousness is the righteousness that we have v- via our union with Jesus, and practical righteousness basically means kind of how far along we are in our sanctification process. I realize I'm using justification and sanctification. Does anyone know what those words mean? And can you give me a, the 10-second the definition? <clears throat> Anybody? That's okay. Yeah, All right. Last year, Pastor, treated you all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Uh, so one of the ways that, that I have, it's really easy to remember justification. Uh, justification, just as if I'd never sinned. So God treats you, he looks at you, just as if you'd never sinned when you place your faith in Christ. Now, sanctification, uh, Pastor Aaron talked about that this morning. He talked about this, this dual aspect of, of growing in graces, growing in Christian virtues, as well as weeding out the, the old sins, as well as you know, ripping those out by the root and, and getting them out of your life. That's the process of sanctification. And so what Jesus is getting at in this passage is he's saying that we still need his cleansing blood every single day because we sin every single day and we need to be covered by the blood of Christ every day. So it's kind of like when we talk about, you know, this, sometimes theologians use the term the already and the not yet. Like already we are justified but we are not yet fully sanctified. Does that make sense to you guys? Now, the reason that that's, that that's important is because, because we do have this, this remaining sin. We need, to, we need to understand that Jesus doesn't just forgive us the moment that we uh, the moment that we come to salvation, and then right after that, if we mess up, it's, it's like game over. It's like, no, his, <laughs> our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. And so Jesus doesn't just cleanse us at the moment of salvation, but he is continually cleansing us through our, the whole way home to heaven. That's the enduring implication of his work, of his cleansing work. And it's that continual uh, cleansing that assures us that we actually will have salvation. We will actually make it all the way home. 
But one of the things that this implies, though, is the necessity of confession. Who knows what confession means? Can someone give me the 10-second definition of confession? Tell someone your sins. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah, anyone in particular? Tell your youth pastor of your sins. That, that, or specifically we need or to go. God, yeah, that, <laughs> bing, there you go. Yep, that's the one. That's the one. Um, in fact, what's interesting is the word, the word confession in First uh, John, First John one nine, it literally means to speak the same. It's the Greek word homologia, and it mean, literally means to speak the same. And so, what what God is is telling us to do when we, you know, recognize that we need forgiveness, when we recognize that we've messed up in the in the everyday nitty gritty, we need to call our sin what it is by the name that God calls it. We say, God, I did this specific thing. God, I lied. And we don't, we don't sugarcoat it. We don't say, ah, I, I kind of fudged a little bit, or I, I, you know, I, I fibbed. And it's like, no, I, I, I lied. You call it exactly what God calls it. You confess it. And what does it say in 1 John 1, 9? It says that he will, well, it's too good to paraphrase. Let me just read it for you. Um, First <laughs> John 1 John 1.9 says this. It says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful and just to forgive us. So with that said, um, the question that you might have is, so what? So what? This is the, and this is the last point, is what's the implication of all of this? Like, what is our response? And so our response, look with me at verse 14. He says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. And so what's cool about this passage, and we'll kind of we'll wrap up with this, is that it kind of gives you this, this twofold, um, kind of this twofold application, if you will. It very much so points to the gospel, very much so points to the cleansing work of Jesus with the foot washing and everything and I'll, after we're done, if you want to know, I actually didn't get to that, but if you want to know about it, I'll, I'll explain it after. Um, it's really cool. Um, but not only does it, does it point us to the gospel, but it also points us to a very practical principle of service, that there is no job that is so, uh, there's no job that's beneath you as a follower of Jesus. There's nothing that's beneath you. There's nothing that's beneath me. We are called to be servants. Jesus says that a servant is not greater than his master. And so if Jesus is willing to literally do the lowest job, we should be willing to do the same because he is our example, right? So we've talked about the humiliation of Christ's cleansing work, that he was willing to undergo this, this, this humiliating 
uh, series of events in order to offer to us salvation. And we've talked about the continuation of that work, that his, that his cleansing isn't just once when we you know, first come to Jesus, but he cleanses us every day. And then we finally, we've talked about the, uh, the implication of it. What does it mean for us? It means that we, who have been so greatly loved and served by our Savior, we go out and we serve with the same level of love and passion. Uh, let's pray. Father, we come before you and just uh, thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Um, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you uh, were humble, that you were meek, that you were willing to experience the deepest humiliation so that we could receive the honor of being called children of God. And we thank you, and we ask that you would uh, bless the rest of our night together, and uh, it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.